morning, let me just tell you a quick story and uh, before I introduce our guest speaker. Uh, 21 years ago, which is hard to believe I'm that old, but 21 years ago, in August of 1999, I went to Southwestern uh, Christian University as a freshman and as a, literally as a scared little boy. Um, I was nervous, 600 miles away from home, only child, a mama's boy, and uh, went there not knowing a couple people from my church came with me, but not knowing many people and nervous. Wanted to leave home, and I wanted to go back within the first two weeks. Um, and got a, I told you this before, I read. I got a letter from my mom telling me you need to stay, and I thought it was maybe a couple months in, and I read it the other day and looked at the date, and I was only two weeks into school. So it was very quickly there, and like she's like, you know, be content, stay. And so anyway, um, but I met a couple there, and uh, there's a debate whether they were actually dating at that time. Um, but I uh, met Chris and, and Julie Green, and um, they were both seniors. And Chris and I would hang out in his dorm room. Julie um, would want to go walking in the park behind, and Chris didn't want to have to go walk with her. So he said, would you please go and protect her? He didn't know me very well because I would have ran just like she would if anything had happened. He had no idea. Like, I would have probably pushed her to whatever was hurting us and take off running. But uh, anyway, but still... Um, I, we would go walk around Eldon Lion Park in the back, and they became great friends. They moved here to Purcell um, and uh, after graduation and lived here while Chris was in graduate school, and Julie worked at the college, and I would come down, do my laundry, and hang out, not, never knowing that years later I was going to live in the same house for four years and be the pastor of the church next door. It was just amazing how all that worked out. Just a very quick, funny story. Chris is actually from here. Um, his dad owned the radiator shop in downtown Purcell for many years. Um, Robert Green and Chris um, whenever we, we went to Mississippi he's been with me several times there to my dad's church and one time church is starting we're standing at the and Chris is on the outside row and this man walks up to Chris and said where are you from and Chris said Purcell and the guy said Brazil and uh, the music was already starting so Chris just said yes and the guy looked walked away bewildered I've never seen a guy like this from Brazil but anyway that's just a funny story I'll never forget when I think of the word Purcell but uh, Chris and Julie became great friends, and actually, honestly, I can say, I remember the day we were, uh, Julie and I went and picked up Chris at a basketball game in OU, never forget it, driving down to Joe's Pizza, coming down here to eat with his family, and on the drive down here, they said, would you ever consider pastoring in Purcell? I was single at the time, I was working for our headquarters, traveling, I was working a divine life with them, and uh, I thought, there's no way I would ever want to leave what I'm doing, and in God's uh, grace and goodness and God's sovereignty saw for me to be here and uh, their family is, is one of the main reasons that I'm here in Purcell today. So we have the great honor. Dr. Chris Green um, ha, it teaches at Southeastern University. He's taught at, at ORU and at uh, Southwestern Christian University. He also taught for several years at the Pentecostal Theological Seminary in Cleveland, Tennessee. He's written six books. Two of them, I forgot to grab it. The, the, the one I think you would like the best probably um, to me is this one that I, I, I enjoy reading. And it was a joy because it's called Surprised by Joy. And uh, it's just a joy to read, and I think you would enjoy that book, and you can find those on Amazon. He's written several books. Um, he's preached here many times over the years. Matter of fact, tonight I got voted in here. He preached that Sunday morning, and I got voted on that Sunday evening. So he's been a friend of our church for many years. We're so glad to have him and Julie here this morning. So will you give a great big Purcell Landmark Church welcome to Dr. Chris Green as he comes.
And in that closing prayer, this minister, which lasted for like seven minutes, the minister said, I'll never forget this as long as I live, he's just listing all the things he needs God to forgive him for. And of course, it gets uncomfortable after the first or second thing. And then he said, God, forgive me for going into bookstores and reading books without buying them. <laughs> Except that one book, you really blessed me with that one, God. <laughs> so... <laughs> There, that was a, a momentous day, for sure. Well, it is good to be here and to be, to be with you. I'm so proud of Justin. I love, I, I think it's so fitting that I'm here today on the day they're celebrating you and the other pastors. I think that it, it's unbelievable that it's been 13 years, but you've done good work here, and I'm, I'm proud of the work that you've done. So I, I, I want to acknowledge that. And it's fitting, too, that you talked about our, our shared history, because what I want to share with you this morning was, it begins in Exodus 20, if you want to turn there. 35 years ago, almost to the day, about 12 miles from here, I preached the first sermon that we have a recording of. I was nine years old. I was at my grandmother's house. My sister sang a song beforehand, and all of this is recorded. Hopefully you'll never be able to or required to hear it. But my text that day at nine years old was Exodus 20, which I'm going to share with you this morning. Although what I said then and what I'm going to say today might be a little bit different. <laughs> well, I will, uh, I'll tell you more about that. But let's read Exodus 20 first. And then... I'll share with you my nine-year-old version of this and then what I would say about it now, 35 years later. Exodus 20, verse 1. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or the alien residing in your town. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honor your father and your mother, so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. Sorry, this lost my place. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When all the people witness the thunder and lightning, this is what I want you to notice. When all the people witness the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. 
they were afraid. Notice, God says all of this, what we know as the Ten Commandments. And what did the people notice? The thunder, the lightning, the rumbling of the mountain, the smoke. They can't hear anything God is saying. They can only feel the fear they have in hearing it. Miss the mountain smoking, they were afraid and trembled and stood at a distance and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid for God has come only to test you and to put the fear of him upon you so that you do not sin. Then the people stood at a distance while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. So, as I said, 35 years ago, first recorded sermon, not my first sermon, but the first one that we have record of, was on this text. And my topic that day was, Sin is Satan's Bondage. Again, nine years old. I preached for about 30 minutes, which is what I plan to do this morning, but... I mean, it's been 35 years, so I have more to say. So who knows how long this will take. But the point of my sermon that day was that sin is what keeps us in bondage. And then I went on to list all of the sins that keep us in bondage. That included, among other, it was a 30-minute sermon, so there were lots of sins listed. Not going into bookstores and reading books that I didn't buy, but a lot of sins. One of those sins was smoking cigarettes. Remember, I'm nine years old. But another one was murder. In fact, there's a point in the sermon in which I gave a list of, of sins, obviously building from the least bad to the worst. And it went just like this. Smoking cigarettes every day. Killing someone every hour. Being a Catholic priest. Or reading any Bible other than the King James. That... That was the order of, of sin. So smoking cigarettes went to murder, went to Roman Catholic priest, went to anything but the King James Version, which, notice, I didn't read the King James Version this morning. I'm not a Catholic priest. I didn't murder anyone, and I'm not smoking. But I am, I am, in fact, reading something other than the King James Version. And so the, the whole point of that nine-year-old version of me that, that sermon that I was giving, was that we're in bondage to sin, and sin looks like this. But of course, what was actually happening was I was a nine-year-old kid who was externalizing all the things I heard from the adults around me. Right? And those of you who know my story know that I grew up, again, not far from here, and I attended a holiness church, which was concerned mostly with the, with the way women dressed and whether or not men cussed and let their women dress that way. And that's what we called holiness, right? Which, of course, has nothing at all to do with holiness. And yet, that's how we thought of sin. And so, as a nine-year-old kid, when I'm thinking about bondage, I'm thinking about bondage to sin, and I'm also thinking that sin means these things. Smoking, killing, being a Catholic, reading anything other than the King James Version. But life has happened to me since then. And... God has happened to me since then. And in the process, I, I've come to see all of this so differently. So differently. So that today when I read the story of God giving the commandments, the first thing that strikes me is their fear. As I pointed out to you when we were reading the text. The fact that God is speaking to them. 
they're hearing the voice of God, or rather, God is speaking, and they should be hearing the voice of God, but they cannot hear the voice of God because the voice of their own fear. All they can hear is what they are afraid God means in what God is saying. And I think that it is, it's possible for any of us. It's possible for me. It's possible for you. It's possible for the people that you know and love for us to be in the presence of God and to hear the word of God, and yet what we're actually hearing is what we're afraid God means by what we're hearing. And so we don't hear the gospel. We don't hear Jesus. We don't hear light. We don't hear peace. We don't hear the call to goodness and love and compassion. What we hear is threat and intimidation. What we hear is hell and judgment. What we hear is that God is against us. And so here are the people God has delivered. I brought you out of the house of bondage. God is gathered them to himself and he's speaking his word to them but they can't hear it and they can't hear it because for generations they've been enslaved they've been delivered from the house of bondage but they have not been healed from what the bondage did to them this is one of the ways in which and you know i'm fourth generation Pentecostal, I teach at a Pentecostal school, I identify as a Pentecostal, but this is one of the ways in which our tradition often gets ministry wrong, in that we're all about the moment of deliverance, but not about the work that follows the moment of deliverance. We want to be there for the exodus, but not necessarily for the 40 years of wilderness it takes to work Egypt out of you. We want to be there for the, for the healing service, but not for the hospital visits that follow it. Come on now. I've been here lots of times. I've been preaching here for 25 years, so I'm just going to act like I'm at home. Like, this, this, is, this is one of the things we struggle with. We want God to do everything for everybody in one moment. But what happens to all of us in one way or another is God intervenes, God acts in our life, we're delivered, and then the slow, hard work starts. Right? There's a, that moment of encounter with God, which is uplifting and enlivening and eye-opening and then the slow hard work comes that might take weeks or months or decades might take your lifetime and so israel has been delivered they're out of egypt but they're still slaves they're just ex-slaves they're they're freed but they don't know how to live in their freedom and so when god speaks they hear pharaoh speaking they still think the voice of authority, now we've, we've shifted, the, the voice of authority is a voice that is against us. Pharaoh used to be against us. The gods of Egypt used to be against us. Now we have a new God. We have a new leader. But they still are the same people. They're still eaten up with the same fears and anxieties after generations of slavery. And so they say to Moses, you speak to us. You, you, you go between God and us because they're just not sure if they can trust God or not. And it's easy to criticize them. But when you remember that these are people who for hundreds of years have labored under this slavery, and then suddenly a man shows up that they knew was a prince of the people who oppressed them, suddenly telling them, the God of Abraham... He's heard your cries after all this time, and he's going to deliver you. And then bang, 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 events happen, they're free, 
They cross through the Red Sea. Everything seems to be coming together, and suddenly they realize this is not what we thought it was. And, and, and we're all familiar with this story enough to know that again and again, what do they say to Moses? Why did you bring us out of Egypt for this? Why did you bring us out of Egypt for this? Because even though they've been freed from slavery, they're not yet healed from what slavery had done to them. And so they're unable to hear anything good, anything promising in what God is saying. And now I want to take you to another text, Philippians 3. Philippians 3. Verse 4. If anyone has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. This is, this is an absolutely hilarious passage in Philippians, right? So Paul's just, just uh, taking it to the extreme, right? If anybody has a reason to be confident, I have more reason. And then he starts his list of accomplishments. I was circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So we don't have time to work through it, but essentially what he's doing here is he's narrowing down the number of people who can compare with him. And he's saying, I'm a Jew and not a Gentile. I'm circumcised, so I belong to a small circle of the chosen ones. But I'm not just one of the circumcised. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, and so I'm in an even smaller circle. But I'm not just a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm a Pharisee. I'm of a smaller circle than even that small circle that's in the small circle of the elect people of God. But not only that, I am a persecutor of the church, which at one point was his badge of identity. And then he says, and actually, I'm just blameless. No one's ever been as righteous as I was. That's what he's saying. And then he says, and I count all of that as nothing, as loss so that I may know Christ. Whatever gains I have, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, what's striking to me about this is when you put these two stories side by side, you've got the story of people whom God has delivered and yet are not healed and therefore cannot hear God's word. And so they keep their distance. They social distance from God. They mask themselves from God. 
out of fear. But Paul's story is almost exactly the opposite of that. Paul is not afraid. If anyone has reason to brag, I have more reason, he says. I'm not like the Israelites who hung back from God in fear. I am blameless. Because the story in Exodus 20 is the story of slaves. The story in Philippians 3 is the story of a master. Paul mastered the religious life. Now, I think all of us, at certain points in our life, struggle with what it means to be a slave. Even after God has worked in our life, there's something in us that is unhealed, something in us that's broken. And so, at various times in our life, sometimes suddenly out of the blue, we find that there is a slave in us in relation to God, and we're afraid of what God might be. But, more often, for those of us who spent any time around the church at all, we are in the opposite place, and that is we've mastered this. And as hard as it is to hear God when you're a slave, it is much harder to hear God when you're a master. As hard as it is to be healed from what Pharaoh does to you, it is so much harder to be healed when you are the Pharaoh. Because what you have with this nation of people that's just been delivered from Egypt are people who've suffered under authority. They've been abused. They've been taken advantage of. They've been forgotten. They've been beaten. They've been starved. They've been neglected. Paul is the one who does the beating. He's not afraid of God. People are afraid of him. And as awful and as terrifying as it is to be afraid of God, how much worse is it for people to be afraid of you because of the way you use the name of God? And what worries me more than anything about myself and what worries me more than anything about the people that share this calling that, I call, that I'm called by, it's not that we will be slaves, it's that we will be masters. Because it is so much harder to find God from that place. As hard as it is to get Egypt out of you, it is so much harder when you can't tell the difference between Egypt and the promised land. When you don't know how to hear the truth, that's one thing. When you think you can speak the truth when you're not actually speaking the truth, that's altogether a different thing. And what happens to Paul is, I think, the most remarkable conversion we have in all of Scripture. In that he meets Jesus and he gets saved from how good he is at being religious. It's one thing to be saved if you're the prodigal son. It's so much harder to be saved if you're the elder son. Right? It's one thing to be saved if you're under the bondage of sin. Here's my nine-year-old self. All I could imagine is that there are people who are far from God, and they're living under the bondage of horrible addiction like smoking and horrible vices like murder and horrible lifestyles like being a Catholic priest and horrific events like reading anything other than the King James. I could not imagine anything worse than being a sinner. But I've lived long enough and I've followed God long enough to realize there's something much worse than being a sinner and that's thinking you're a saint. It's so much worse for you and for everybody around you when you think you're a saint. Because what's marking Paul's ministry now at this point in his life is, 
I have not attained it. The surest sign that you are holy is that you know you're not. I'm going to say that one more time. The surest sign that you are holy is that you know you're not. It's, it's easy to know you're not holy when you're a slave, still broken by what Pharaoh has done to you. But when you are religious, you get stuck in this place where you start to think you're healthier than you are and wiser than you are and stronger than you are and better than you are. And you imagine that you're giving life and joy and peace to everyone around you, not realizing they're afraid of you because of what you're going to do in God's name. And if I can go just a little bit further toward the controversy, I think that that's what's plaguing us. The problem in America is not people aren't Christian. It's that people who claim the name of Christ aren't living like Christ. I mean, there is a problem with those who deny Christ. But that's not what's eating away at us. What's eating away at us are people who claim to be following the way of Jesus, but are not living like Jesus, or dying like Jesus, or forgiving like Jesus, or healing like Jesus. Because what has to happen, whether you're a slave or a master, is you have to meet Jesus and realize he is God. That the God revealed in Jesus Christ is the God who knows you and calls you and loves you and invites you into his own life. And this, this is what has to happen for every one of us. Whether we are slaves or masters, whether we are trembling in fear and can't hear anything God is saying, or we're making others tremble in fear because we think we are saying what God is saying, regardless of where we are, all of us have to come back again to Jesus has made me his own. What matters is that I am conformed to him, that I sound like him, that I act like him, that I think like him. What matters is that people sense him in me, smell him on me, hear him in me. Because there's a difference between loving Christianity and loving Christ. There are a whole lot of people around us who want America to be Christian, but they don't want to submit to Christ. But we don't believe in Christianity. We believe in Jesus. The goal is not to make everyone Christian. The goal is to let everyone meet Jesus. And that may seem subtle, but it's not subtle once you meet him. Paul was so sure of himself until he met Jesus. You notice in the Exodus passage, it says that Israel hung back, but Moses drew near the thick darkness. What happens in Philippians is Paul says, that thick darkness drew near to me. On the road to Damascus, on his way to persecute the church in the name of his God, in the name of our God, the thick darkness strikes him down, and Paul goes blind. He can't see anything at all until he comes to terms. And this takes him years. I mean, he gets knocked down in a moment, but it's 14 years before, before his first missionary journey. Think about that. We tell the story, again, about the moment of Paul's conversion. But he went right from that moment, still blind, into the care of one of the people he was trying to kill. And the church has to have several votes about whether or not to even let him in. Once they do let him in, he goes to the desert alone for three years. 
and then he works in a local church for 11 more years after that it is almost 15 years before the spirit says go again we don't know what to do with that long hard work between what happens on the road to Damascus and what happens when you proclaim the gospel to the masses but that's where God is working and so I, I leave you with this thought these two thoughts what you see in Philippians is that Paul just just before we, the passage we read today in Philippians 3 just before that Paul has said to the Philippians that you must work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is at work in you and at the end of the Exodus passage that we read Moses tells Israel do not be afraid for God is putting his fear in you. Now think about that. Do not be afraid. God is putting his fear in you. Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So here's what has to happen for all of us. First, we have to realize that the fear of the Lord is not fear of what God will do to us. To fear the Lord is not like fearing Pharaoh. You fear Pharaoh. The fear of Pharaoh is Pharaoh will hurt me. Pharaoh will take my life. Pharaoh will take my children. Pharaoh will destroy me. But the fear of the Lord is fear from God. Isaiah chapter 11 says the spirit of the Lord will rest upon the person of God, the man and woman of God, and they will receive the spirit of fear of the Lord. And they will delight in the fear of the Lord and they will speak the truth and they will bring justice see there's fear of the Lord in the sense of if you're a slave fear of the Lord means God will hurt me but once you realize that's not who God is to you that's not who God is to anyone the fear he has for you is a gift to you that makes it possible for you to speak the truth and to do justice so that what's shifting is that you're shifting from thinking that God wants you to work for him to realizing that he wants to work in you and with you. Paul says, fear, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for God is at work in you to accomplish his will. You, see, you hear the difference? If the fear of the Lord is the fear of what God will do to me, and I imagine that I'm here to do his work, I'm still thinking like a slave. I just think I have a different master. But once I meet Jesus, I realize he's giving me his fear. And his fear is nothing but liberation from all other fears. When he gives you his fear, you don't fear anything. You are bold as he is bold. And once you understand that, you understand he doesn't want you to work for him. He wants to work in you and with you. So, here's what I want to leave you with. Come back to Jesus. Whether you feel like the slaves at the base of the mountain, and there's part of you that wonders if God really is for you or against you, hear the word of Jesus. Or, you've become a little more indignant in your righteous indignation than you are in fact righteous whether you're getting carried away 
with zeal for God, whether you're getting carried away with defending the name of God, come back to Jesus. God doesn't need me to defend him. And I don't need to be defended from God. God doesn't need me to defend him. And I don't need to be defended from God. He is for me. He wants to work with me for the good of those around me. And if the people of God will come back to the one who reveals God, we can embody that. Let me pray for you, and then pastor can come. God, thank you for your word, your word that is life, your word that is joy, your word that is peace. And my prayer for my brothers and sisters this morning is that they can hear the call to come back to you, hear the call to come back to your way of life, to live as you live, to bear our crosses as you bore your cross. Whether we this morning are afraid and intimidated and anxious or we are presumptuous and zealous and angry, wherever we're standing, God, I pray that you will bring us back to you, bring us back to your heart, bring us back to your character and your love for us and for the world. Bring us back to the gospel, to what matters. God, help us to reconvert to the way of Jesus so that they can say of us, as they said of your first apostles, we can tell that they have been We pray this in Christ's name and by the power of the Spirit. Amen.